All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. All right. So here's the thing. Some people hate email. Not us. Not note to self. We love getting emails. And today, we're going to answer some of them right here, right now, on our first ever advice show. I'm Anoush Samarodi, your guide to this crazy, accelerating world. And note to self, yeah, it's been so darn cold here in New York. But guess what? None of us, not you, not me, none of us are special snowflakes. I'm so sorry. Because any problem that you've got or issue that you're dealing with right now chances are there are at least five other people struggling with it, too. So the good news is none of us are ever really alone. That is what I am learning from reading all the mail that we have gotten from you. And we can get together right here, right now to troubleshoot, to figure out some answers. So it's very exciting to help me with this special Q&A episode. I want to introduce you to the woman behind the Note to Self inbox and social media accounts, the show's assistant producer, Megan Kunane. Hi, Manish. Hi, Megan. Wait, is this your first time on the mic with me? Yes. With you, yes. Yeah, so this whole idea of doing an advice show came from me being on book tour in the fall and just sort of having, at, at the end of every sort of book event I would do, I would have a couple people come up to me afterwards to ask completely different questions or want to know the answer to something. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Maybe we need to do an advice show. And you were like, yeah, hell yeah. Let's uh, let's put out the call officially to people. And when we did, did, did we get good response? Were people into it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of responses. People were into it. And people were sometimes desperate uh-uh. <laughs> for answers. Okay, so on this one, what we're going to do, the plan is, you know, As much as I would like to say that I am the all-knowing soothsayer of technology and life, unfortunately, that is not true. But I, I, you know, I feel like I have my opinions and ideas, and I'm pretty well educated on this. So I'm going to do my best to answer. But Megan and I have gone through, and the ones where we don't know the answers or, or don't have some suggestions, we've done some research as well. So where shall we begin, as Esther Perel would say? We are going to begin with an issue that is very near and dear to your heart, actually, and more relevant than ever. Okay, let's hear the first one. Hi, Note So team. My name is Alan Hobson. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And I wanted to know how we can handle things like information overload. And who better to answer this question than text queen slash master techie? Ugh. Information overload, you are right. This is a question near and dear to my heart. And Alan, you have been like my Twitter, uh, I don't even know what to call you, my my Twitter hero recently. We've been on the tweets a lot. So, okay, let's talk about information overload. 
I would say the number one thing you can do, Alan and everyone, is set yourself something that I like to call an information goal. So before you open an app or you sit down at your computer, you know, ask yourself, what am I looking for? Is it a recipe? Is it an article about the tax cut? Do you just want to see what your people on Instagram are up to? All of those things are completely valid, but here is the crucial part. You also need to ask yourself, how will I know when I have achieved this goal? And the answer may be when you find that oatmeal cookie recipe that has all the ingredients that you happen to have in your kitchen. Or maybe it's two really solid articles about what the tax cut is going to mean for your tax bracket. Or maybe you set yourself a goal of 15 relaxed minutes of scrolling on your Insta. But this is the key thing, right? It's setting the goal. And then knowing when you've reached your goal, you're done. Cognitive psychologists call sticking to a certain topic a schema. And sticking to a schema can help you actually think about what you're consuming. Have you slow down your brain so that you're not jumping from oatmeal cookie to tax cut to Instagram to da 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 Because that's when we start to get the anxious anxiety feeling. We did a very large project called InfoMagical in 2016, which was one of those weeks where 50,000 of us got together and we tried every single day a different way of tweaking our behavior so that we do better in terms of taking information in, not just taking more in and then stuffing it in our brains, but actually deciding what we wanted to get out of the information. So you can always go back to InfoMagical, and of course, we'll link to that in the show notes and everything. We have also gotten several questions about not just managing information overload, but dealing with the information once we've decided to take it in. Okay, that's a very mature question. Yes, go on. So we heard from Whitney, who is a mother of two with a full-time job outside of motherhood. Yeah. (laughs) She wrote in that after the 2016 election, she deleted her Facebook app and Twitter. We heard that from a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. because all the fake news and hate inciting opinions were really bothering her. Yep. Recently, she slowly started getting back into reading and listening to the news, but she actually wants to know what your daily news consumption looks like. Oh, Whitney. Um, Okay, so here's the deal, Whitney. I am a newsletter freak. I love newsletters because, for me, it's about saying, like, wonderful person who writes this newsletter, and I'll tell you my favorites in a minute— they're spending all their time reading everything. So some of my recent favorites, Anne Friedman does a great weekly roundup. Axios is a new media company that um, I'm really into their newsletters right now. Quartzy uh, comes from Quartz. They do this special one on Fridays, which is kind of more sort of luxury and kind of soothes you into the weekend. I really like it. But here's the issue, Megan. Newsletters are great. But they bring up um, a similar issue to what another listener, Zorg, wrote us, which is, I feel like users should have some kind of input into how algorithms are created. I don't know how feasible that is, but my concern is, how do I stop the algorithms from placing me in a bubble, Um, even or especially a bubble of my own design? Okay, so I think Zorg is most likely referring to getting information on a place like Facebook, 
where, of course, it knows what you like, it knows who you follow, and then it sort of hand delivers. But also, I think, you know, it's on us, right, to follow people who would not be recommended by the Twitter algorithm or whatever. So, you know, give it a try. We've said this before, but really, try to follow three people who are kind of your opposite, like maybe economically or politically, or even just geographically. And that is where empathy starts. And that is where we start to get a national conversation. And that is where we start to, cross fingers, um, mend this country. Wow, I just fixed America, Megan, by asking people to follow three people who aren't like them. Okay, Megan, I feel like we covered a lot about where we get our information, how we get our information, information overload. Where do we go now? Well, lots of people have questions about digital privacy. Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with Jenny in Menominee, Wisconsin. Ooh, good, good place. My question for you today is, is there an easy way to track down and delete all of those one-time accounts we've set up throughout our lives? I'm talking about single purchases from an online retailer or former health insurance companies or even things like magazine subscriptions that required you to set up an account online. I want to know if there's a way to find them all and get that information off the interwebs to protect my privacy. Thanks so much. Love the show. Oh, man, that is a good one, Uh, Megan. So is there a way to delete your personal information? What do you do? Okay, so I found a few services to accomplish this batch delete but with varying success rates. Uh Um, One I looked at is deceit.me. That's the address you go to. Um, Deceit.me. Deceit.me, yeah. Like D-E-S-E-A-T. D-E-S-E-A-T, yes. Got it. And the way that it works is you log in with an email address, and then it gives you a list of all the accounts that you've opened with that email address, which immediately was shocking to me. Yeah. Because I tried it with both of my email addresses, and I had over 180. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, And then it gives you an option to add them to a delete queue, and then it'll link to their delete pages. So so it's kind of a long process, Uh yeah. But it's good if you don't remember the services that you've signed up for. We'll Um, link to that. Yeah, we'll link to it. And sometimes it seems weird going through this process to give your email address over (laughs) because it is about privacy. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how do we know that they're not just going to take our email address? Yeah. But this brings up a funny story that I'm excited to tell you about. Okay, let's hear it. (laughs) Um, Another service I looked at is called JustDelete.me, which is more a directory of the cancellation pages for accounts. So you do need to know what you have. But it's cool because it rates the difficulty of getting out of an account. Oh, to see. Because you can see. If I sign in, if I create an account with you, am I trapped here forever? Yeah, which is possible. There are impossible levels. But on just delete.me. So they do have a Chrome extension, but the Chrome extension doesn't have a privacy policy. So I reached out to the developer of it to mm. ask, what's the deal? Mike Rogers, and he wrote back <laughs> almost immediately. Yes. In all caps, OMG, exclamation mark. I love the show. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes, Mike. That's awesome. It was so funny. And then he was like, "I there's not a policy, but I'm writing one right away. <gasps> So it's in uh-huh. it's in progress. He has to he has to run it by some people. Okay. So can I just can I just have a moment here? Yeah. This is fascinating to me. Y- you empowered young person 
go to try and find what there is online to help our listeners and yourself maintain a little online privacy, which I think is very wise. And yet we are still at a point where we have to reach out to individual developers to ask them what their privacy policies are. And the wonderful thing is they're mostly great people. They even listen to this show. And as we know, he's going to have a privacy policy because we asked for it. So I feel like this is just a microcosm of what is happening on a much more and has to happen on a much more macro level. This idea of all of us saying, uh, excuse me, I use uh, tech products that have privacy policies, that have been vetted. I think we're at a very nascent, very early start when it comes to this request, but that is really interesting. I got to mention that just this month, two senators proposed massive and mandatory fines for data breaches at Equifax. Of course, that is the credit reporting company that we all belong to, whether we want to or not. And they're starting at $100 for each consumer whose sensitive information is compromised. Now, I, for example, tried to find out, was my information compromised? And the the bot came back and said, maybe. So that's annoying to begin with. But I think the point is if we start to make it so that our lawmakers are insisting that there is accountability, that's where these things start. So, uh, wait, can I just read you one more thing? Yes. If the legislation – this is really crazy – if the legislation had been in place when Equifax had its data breach last year, it would have faced fines of at least $1.5 billion because – 145.5 million Americans, that's pretty much like half the population, uh, was affected. Wow. Boo. Boo, Equifax. All right. So this is a work in progress, this whole privacy data thing. Um, So it actually reminds me of a couple other listeners who reached out. Andrew says that he goes to every length to protect his digital privacy. But then he writes, okay, I'm just going to read it to you. Ready? Mm -hmm. I can't seem to figure out how to talk about Internet security and privacy with my friends and family without coming across as an NSA paranoid lunatic who can't accept that to live in the 21st century, you just have to accept that your data will be sold. I feel so small, like a kid with a bucket who is trying to stop the ocean waves. Andrew, first of all, we love you and we're happy you're asking these questions because that is how we begin these conversations. Of course, it would be easier to enjoy the fruits of our digital lives if we could just be ignorant of it all. But I'm sorry, sir. You are a smarty pants. You cannot be ignorant. No bliss for you. And that's a good thing. We need people to be smart, okay? Your fellow listener, Michelle, lots of smart people here, ended up getting a Google Home, you know, one of those things that's listening to her, and she loves it. So she doesn't know what to do because she doesn't want to get rid of it. But, okay, the key thing is deciding where you draw the line at your privacy. It is a very wide spectrum. All of us draw that line in very different places. So just talking about it, even if you sound like a lunatic, Andrew, is important because, Andrew, actually, I'm here to tell you, you are not a lunatic. Uh, I don't mean to freak you out, guys, but a couple things. Airport searches, you know, the cell phones, the laptops, tablets, everything we carry through the airports, um, 
last year, there was a big jump in people having their devices searched. In 2015, about 8,000 travelers had their devices searched in an airport. This past year, 30,000 had them searched. Also, the House on Capitol Hill just passed a bill to renew the NSA's warrantless internet surveillance program. Chances are it will be passed again into law. So this allows the NSA to collect the texts and emails of foreigners abroad without an individual warrant, even when they communicate with an American in the U.S. My point is that if we don't have this conversation, if we are ignorant and blissfully so, then the line starts to move, whether you like it or not. Companies begin to say, hmm, I'll just take a little more information. No one really cares. The government says, well, it's keeping us safe. I'll just take a little more, too. No, this is checks and balances. This is democracy. This is how we function as a nation. And in fact, in Europe, where I think there's a lot of great lessons for us to learn, there's some really interesting new laws coming into effect in May. This is a big deal. The General Data Protection Regulation. How nerdy do I sound right now? But listen, the GDPR is serious. This is rules about what big data competitors can and can't do with EU citizens' data. They will not be able to just use personal data for their commercial purposes as easily. They're going to have to tell you what data they're taking, what data they're deleting. So we could see major fines, first of all, for Microsoft or Google, huge, like billion-dollar ones that really actually matter. I think it's our right to know, right? That's what we're saying. We're not saying we don't want to use these services. What we're saying is that choice matters and legal protection matters because that's what being an American is. I know it's hard, you guys, but, like, keep believing in the the concept of privacy. It's in the Constitution, and, uh, you know, we're all about back to basics these days in American politics, so just hold on to that. All right, we're going to take a break right now, Megan. We need some tea. Um, But when we come back, we're going to talk about the one thing that the most... Note to self, listeners want to know about, and hopefully we will provide a satisfying answer. Stick with us. We're back. It's Note to Self's first ever advice show. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, your agony aunt, <laughs> usually just the host of the show. Um, and I've got with me today, it's very exciting, Megan Kunane. She is the producer who handles our email inbox and social media accounts, among many other things. She may have corresponded directly with you, but right now she's sitting next to me. Hi, Megan. Hi. Okay, so let's get to it. What was the top question that Note to Self listeners wanted an answer to, Megan? Well, Manoush, we're just going to play montage. (laughs) This is Jessica, Joe, and Monique. Okay, let's play the montage. My question was about how to get off of Facebook and social media in general while also not feeling isolated from friends. I'm really struggling with the proper amount of time to put in my social media feeds right now. Uh, I still very much want to feel connected and know what my friends are up to, 
but I also don't want to get too sucked in because I know I'll come across upsetting posts if I scroll down too far. I have been dealing with depression all my life and ever since social media has uh, kind of taken over, um, my depression has gotten a lot worse mostly because people aren't really social anymore. Um, well, how ironic that social media is extremely isolating. So I guess my question is, are there other people out there that feel this way? And if so, um, do you want to meet me for a beer? <laughs> oh, Monique, I want to meet you for a beer. And you guys, you are not the only ones. Okay, so you guys, this is hard. But here's the thing, okay? You cannot do everything. You can't see everything that has happened on Instagram and necessarily maintain a calm mental state. You cannot know all the headlines and the ins and outs so that you sound like the smartest person uh, on your Facebook feed or at a dinner party and also find time for that inner work that a lot of us feel the need to do, whether that's meditating or thinking about some of the things that we've read. We have to choose, my friends. You have to choose and accept that there are trade-offs. This, you heard that, like, pause, a little crack in my voice. That is me struggling with this right now as well. I find it very hard to choose because I am greedy. I want it all. I want to know everything that's going on on Instagram and also be my most zen, uh, thoughtful, caring self. Apparently, though, I cannot reconcile those two people. And so I have to self-regulate, and that, I think, is the key thing, right? Checking in with your mental state, asking yourself, do I feel good right now? Am I getting something out of this? Giving yourself permission to say, you know what? I'm not going to look right now, or I'm going to take a break, or actually, I'm really joned in for Instagram. I'm okay with taking 15 minutes for myself. How you measure what feels good to you will be very different than your roommate or your mom or whatever it might be. No need to judge, right? Um, but the most important thing is that you circle back to feeling uh, that you have self-worth and self-respect, that, you know, life's too short for FOMO because F it. Go live it. Go live the life instead of watching somebody else's. Megan, I just want to read you. Sarah wanted to know how she should tell people, how do I politely say no? You won't find me on your platform of choice after she meets someone, they're like, oh, see you on Facebook. And she's like, she doesn't know how to be like, actually, no, you won't. Um, because she feels like it makes her look like an insufferable snob. And I always feel like I get this sneer of, oh, you think you're too good for social media um, when people learn or remember I'm not online. Um, Sarah, you know what? Just give them the most beautiful smile and be like, no, it's not that. I really want to stay in touch with you. So let's find a better way to do that. And then you can give them your email address or your phone number. Or if you don't want to do that, then you know that you don't really care whether they think you're a snob. <laughs> let's face it, right? I will say I used to be thought of as like the total weirdo whose people can't really find on Facebook. But now more people are like, yeah, to me. When I'm like, no, I'm not on Facebook, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. So – I think that it's getting more acceptable to have to find different places to find you. I think we need to reset expectations. So 
there are certain people who know that I will not see a random Facebook get-together invitation, whatever, because I am not there. And I've missed things, and I have to live with that. But also, the people who really do care most about me will also make sure that they send something out over email. Erin similarly noted, she says, I make a lot of effort to connect socially in real life to keep up with those closest to me. But as we age and get busier with work, children, etc., it seems like many people are satisfied with letting social media stand in for actual social interaction. How do I balance what's best for me and feel like I'm not missing out? Um, okay, so you guys, there's another listener who might have the answer. It's a little bit dramatic, but Kristen wrote, Something I once heard and rings in my head regarding social media is that I won't be on my deathbed wishing I had more time to check Instagram or Facebook. Kristen, you're right. You did hear that somewhere. It's not just in your head. You actually heard it here on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, who's going to wake up on their deathbed and say, I, I only spent two years of my life on Facebook? Two years? Is that what it's going to add up to? 25 minutes a day on Facebook is like two years of your life. I mean, really. Um, I just don't think people get it. That is uh, Professor Malia Mason. She teaches at Columbia Business School, and she studies how people use social media and the Internet in their daily life. Do you, what, do you, what do you think, Megan? Mm, I relate to Sarah mm. because there is a lot of small news from people who you aren't in touch with really regularly but are curious about or would be happy about mm. that you can network with on Facebook in a way that you can't via email. I mean, I'm thinking of my, my high school Sure, yeah. Okay, that's really funny. So I went to my 20th high school reunion, and I was like the only person who wasn't in the Facebook group. And everyone was so excited to see me because nobody knew what I had been up to, Um, whereas they all knew what each other was doing. And they were like, well, it's not much of like I kind of know what you're doing already. That's nice. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. So I had like really intense, wonderful conversations. Um, Did I – I had missed out on a lot of really interesting things, but I – you know, I'm at a point in my life where I feel like I've decided that my children, my family, and my career need all my attention. And I just – I'm sorry. I love you guys, but I don't have time to keep up. I just can't. Yeah. Um, That, like, completely changed my mind. (laughs) Now I want to get up. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're – no, if you're – No, but it's nice. I mean, it feels to me like – Okay, so my deep, dark theory always was that Facebook exists because we're scared of death. We're scared of saying, like, no, that chapter with that person is over. Mm. Like, you know, I have ex-boyfriends who I never have heard from ever again because I went out with them before Facebook existed. And I'm fine with that. That part, I was a different person. They were a different person. We do not need to be in touch. But that would never happen now, ever. You would always kind of know what they're doing. And I just feel like life happens in chapters, and that's okay. It's okay to move on from something, and you have to be able to—God, I'm just going to sound like a weird old woman, but, like, you know, moving on is important, I think, for our our health. Yeah. Because you only get one of these lives, I think— I mean, and if you do come back, you might be like a parrot and you won't have a Facebook account. So, all right. I also want to go a little bit macro on this and say, everybody, (laughs) not only are you not alone, you are at the cusp of the cutting edge, okay? 
Mark Zuckerberg's resolution this year, here's what he wrote. He wrote, the world feels anxious and divided. Facebook has a lot of work to do, whether it's protecting our community from abuse and hate or making sure time spent on Facebook is time well spent. He's decided uh, that his personal challenge for the year is to help you not feel gross on Facebook, which is a good thing, I think, essentially. Will it work? I don't know. But the point is, there is an acknowledgement that it is time to make a change in Silicon Valley. And the other thing that we know on a more positive note is that interacting with people face-to-face is considered one of the best things you can do for your mental health. So, cool, go on Facebook to make a date, to meet someone somewhere. That is a great use of the platform. I should say, you guys, this is just scratching the surface. We definitely did not get to all of your questions, but we're holding on to them. Maybe we'll do another episode if you tell us you like this. We want to know what you think of it. So I asked you a question, and I also have another question that I want to put out there for you. I am preparing, uh, (laughs) it's kind of crazy, I'm preparing to do a big debate for the podcast Intelligence Squared U.S., And the motion is dating apps are destroying romance. I am arguing for this motion. I think they are destroying romance, but I need your stories. So if you have, like, bring it to me. Just, like, you know, really awful, unsexy Tinder messages that you've gotten or, like, just, okay, not graphic, but, like, good ones. Things that are so unromantic that you have found while using dating apps. I would love to hear your stories. Megan, where can they send these horrible stories to? They can send them to the Note to Self inbox. Our address is note to self at wnyc.org. And you can also tweet to us. Although if you're feeling game, send us a voice memo. We have a guide mm. for how to record one of those that we'll link to this week. Yeah, we love the voice memos. We love you guys them. sound so good yeah. too. Like, don't worry about like writing it out or anything. Just say it. Like, just like you're talking to me. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you who sent in your questions. And if we helped you in any small way today, um, you can give us a little love by rating or giving us a review or even just subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to audio on demand. Okay, I'll be back in two weeks. We are trying out this bi-weekly schedule. (laughs) Super weird. Like last week was the first time ever that we didn't put out a show in the four years or so that we have existed. So that was super disorienting for me. Maybe it was for you, too. Um, But I got to tell you, instead of putting out the show, I went, I was in Los Angeles preparing for bigger things to come, but also doing a cover shoot for a magazine called Experience Life that is coming out in April. We had behind the scenes pictures in our newsletter last week and also online. If you're not getting our newsletter, Megan also helps with that and you should totally sign up for it. It's awesome. Okay, so the newsletter is still going to be out every Wednesday, right, Megan? Yes. You can find the newsletter at notetoselfradio.org slash newsletter. And listen, if you don't feel like looking at pictures of me having five hours of makeup done, that's totally cool, as we've just discussed. Because life does happen even if you don't take pics of it, Megan. It does. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see you in two weeks or in the newsletter next week or anytime online. But no pressure, people. We love you.
The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plourd. Many thanks to Matt Boynton and Adriana Tapia for their help this week. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. All right. It's the Megan and Manoush Advice Show. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.